Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Let's stay standing as we read God's Word together um, from Matthew chapter uh, 7, verses 1 through 12. Um, If you do not have a Bible, um, again, there are Bibles in the seats, should be somewhere around you, in front of you, behind you, under you, Um, and that text today is on page 812, page 812, if you would like to follow along there in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Judge not that you not be not judged, for with judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you, Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen, amen. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word, um, and we thank you for um, the way that it, it summons us to um, know you um, and, and um, know ourselves in, in a way that, that only your word by your spirit reveals to us. So help us this morning um, to sit under its teaching Um, to sit under the authority of your word. Um, I pray that you would use me um, to clearly communicate um, what your word says. Um, Help me to be faithful um, and and gracious and clear in what your word says. In your name, amen. You may have a seat. Well, again, we we welcome you um, here. Uh, We're we're, we're, we're thankful that you are here last night. I was kind of finishing up some finishing touches on this, and Lindsay was sitting with me in my office, and I told her this is a really convicting passage, and she said, well, maybe I'll just skip. And so um, you've, you've got about 10 seconds to get up and leave. Uh, if, you, if you're not ready for that, I'm just kidding. Um, we are thankful that you're here. This is a beautifully glorious, convicting, and comforting passage of Scripture, um, and I think that we'll see that today. Um, verse 1 and 2 says this, judge not. Um, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so Jesus, through the preceding chapter, chapter six, we're now in chapter seven, really through the the preceding chapter has, has set up this pattern of instructing his disciples by way of first highlighting an improper practice followed by the correct way to practice that thing. And so whether it was prayer or giving or um, fasting, Jesus first highlighted an improper way to practice that which was expected of his disciples. 
then by bringing in what was the correct way or the the clear way to do this. And so if I could title these first six verses of chapter seven, it would be titled not don't judge, it would be titled how to judge, um, which is really interesting. And we'll see that here in just a minute. Judgment, by the way, will be a theme throughout the whole of chapter seven. And so in these verses, in this section, Jesus exposes a common mistake in humanity when it comes to passing judgment on others. And it is safe to say, um, safe for us to assume that as, as, as Jesus patterned for us continually through the sermon, that he in his mind has the practice and the behavior of the Pharisees in his teaching. That's what he has in mind, that he's kind of stacking up the improper practice with the way the Pharisees practice, and he's showing the better way to practice. It reminds me of something that someone uh, maybe wise, but maybe unwise, once told me that everyone is good for something, even if as just an example of what to avoid. Um, and by the way, that's probably not biblical. Don't take that with you. Be like, yeah, that's right. Everybody's good for something, even if they're good for nothing. That's not really a godly way to do things. But it certainly seems like what Jesus has in mind with the Pharisees, that he, he will, if necessary, make an example of their pride and of their Arrogance, But before we get too deep into the faults of these religious Pharisees, I have a question. I have a question for us in this room. Have you noticed about yourself the propensity not just to evaluate the actions of another, but to ascribe intent or motive to one's actions? Um, you know, Maybe you have found yourself sharing about or observing someone's actions or someone's behavior, and that's just not enough for you. You quickly find within yourself the need, the the urge to judge the inner motive or the inner intent or the state of one's soul or personality and you're thinking, man, how are you tapping into my mind like this? How, is, how are you so keenly aware of this tendency? Well, um, I answer that by a confession that I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. In fact, I, I have found myself as recently as this week ascribing intent and motive to someone's maybe harmful actions and, and realizing just how subtle and how harmful it really is, not only to the soul of the one who I'm ascribing intent, but to my own soul, uh, to my own walk with the Lord. Now, what the scriptures will show us is that there is a place for judgment. There is a place for rebuke to be made, even later in this very text. It's really interesting what happens in verse six, um, that we, we see a place for rebuke and for discernment and judgment. But Jesus is addressing here, and, and here's, the, here's the deal, y'all. This is, this is the, the danger. The danger here is that we, that, we, that we theorize this, that we think this is just something that I need to hear and something that is being said, but it's easy to theorize this and not to personalize it. But what Jesus is addressing here, when he says, judge not, that you be not judged, Jesus is addressing here a kind of condemnatory, fault-finding, hypercritical judgment that was characteristic of the religious leaders in this time and that often is present within us today, right? Not a whole lot of agreement because it's a little convicting. What seemed to be just as true for these leaders was that not only were they 
hypercritical and fault-finding, but they approach things almost expecting and hoping to find fault. Um, that they approached things, they had set for them, they had set a standard so high that, by the way, they weren't able to live up to. But yet, when others failed to live up to it, they were harsh and hypercritical, fault-finding. They expected and hoped to find fault. And here's what Jesus does here. He prohibits this. He prohibits this kind of behavior. It is often subtle in us. It is insidious until it becomes natural and habitual for us. Like it, it's, a, it's a rhythm and a rut in life that you realize that you are in, um, that one day, hopefully by the Spirit of God, you realize I need out of this because it is toxic and Jesus prohibits this, how often we establish ourselves in such a place of authority over one to make brash calls of judgment and and make our own word a law of itself. Have you ever ever found yourself doing that? You, You don't have to let me know, the Lord knows. Jesus addresses something here in verse two. Look what he says in verse two, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is addressing something here, and there exists on it a really a range of understandings and interpretations. And, and what it is is this, it's judgment for those who are Christians. So you read that and you're thinking, okay, Jesus is maybe speaking primarily about the Pharisees, but from what we understand from the Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to disciples. And, and, and Jesus brings up this idea of judgment, the judgment that you give to others, you will be judged by that same measure. Well, let's take just a real quick little detour on this idea of judgment. And by the way, this is a whole sermon for another time, but we'll address it. The Bible speaks of judgment in several different contexts, at least three that I found. One of those contexts of judgment that Jesus, that the, that the scriptures speak about is final eternal judgment, a judgment that um, is final and eternal, and it, and it really refers to our standing before God, something that we'll refer to as justification, our justification, that, that, that the scriptures speak all throughout about our place before God, and, and that one day all people will stand before him either justified or condemned. That is one angle. But another kind of judgment that we see, if we just read the scriptures accurately and faithfully, that another kind of judgment that we see is a kind of chastening or discipline from God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse six. And by the way, the writer of Hebrews says, this is God treating you as sons, that he chastens those whom he loves. And this is God treating you as sons because he loves those whom he chastens or chastens those whom he loves. And then we see what could be understood as the kind of judgment that entails, maybe judgment's not the right word for this category, but a judgment that entails rewards based on faithfulness when we stand before God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter three, Romans 14, 10, and even in this sermon, in chapter six, Jesus over and over again talks about our reward in heaven, our reward in heaven, and it seems to relate to our obedience to God our obedience to the Father. And so like I said, this is a whole sermon for another time, but within Jesus' teaching here, don't miss the point. Remember, this, this, this text right here is not about the judgment of God. Uh, like, that's not the main point. It's there. It's not the main point. But, so, so don't miss the main point. And here's the main point, that within it lies a significant truth that God does not look or think lightly upon us putting ourselves in the place of judge over another person. 
God does not think lightly of us putting ourselves in the place of judge in the life of another. As existed in the Pharisees and the religious leaders, we often, to become, we often become, tend to become unjustly rigid and severe in our judgments. And have you ever felt like, man, I'm just being, maybe I'm being like too harsh. You're too hard, and Jesus is gonna address that here in just a minute. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this a spirit that puts prejudice or opinion in the place of principle. That, that this kind of judgment is a judgment, the kind of judgment that Jesus is addressing is a judgment that places prejudice or opinion in the place of principle. Again, that we have established ourselves as the bar and the judge. So what, we, what he means by prejudice rather than principle is that we kind of set our own standard when there is an objective standard that God has set in his word. And we allow, we allow ourselves to become judges of how people stack up against this standard rather than this one. And Jesus is gonna go a little bit farther here in just a minute. But James chapter four, verses 11 and 12, relativizes this for us pretty well. Look what it says. You don't have to turn there, but James 4, 11 and 12 says, do not speak evil against one another, my brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And James goes on and says, there is only one lawgiver and only one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Man, he, God, James says, God, through the, the mouth of James, through the writing of James, says, hey, listen, there's only one lawgiver and judge. And when you become that judge, you remove yourself as an obedient subject to the lawgiver and you make yourself the lawgiver and the judge. And you can't, James says, you can't do both. You cannot be both lawgiver and obedient child. And so James says that, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Everybody take a deep breath. Sorry if we feel, feel the weight. So I was encouraged a few weeks ago in, in one of my seminary courses that hey, oftentimes we, 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 because we desire to shepherd our people, we desire at times to somewhat soften the blow. And there's times where we need to be left in our, in our conviction. There are things that God is calling you to repent of, church family. There are things in your life, yes, you, who think you might be above it or don't need it. There are things that God is calling you to repent of today. And so I desire for us, I've, I've, got, I've, I've got this planned, I've got little bullets here because I desire for us as a church to be sensitive, to be attentive to the spirit of God here. Hey, here's, here's the thing. This, is, this should be comforting for us. What, what marks the Christian is not the absence of sin, rather the presence of repentance. That's not, that's not what... That's not what marks the Christian is the absence of sin. So we're all sinners. Who am I, who am I to, to judge? And by the way, you don't take that on its own. But what marks the Christian is not the absence of sin, but the presence of repentance. And so we're all on the same playing field when it comes to sin, right? We may not be on the same playing field when it comes to repentance. Because some of our hearts may have been hardened things that God may be calling us and softening our hearts to, we may not be being obedient in. And on that note, 
I would just ask you, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm really just kind of putting the, the plate in front of you here. This is, please don't hear this as some rhetorical, theoretical question. Would you be willing to acknowledge and confess your own propensity to judge harshly to God and maybe to those around you, to those around you who, who, who know your propensity to judge harshly? Would you confess your, your, um, your ability to, to become an expert in the faults of other people? Would you allow our Lord to teach us? Would you allow the Spirit to convict? Would you allow him to, would you be willing to repent? And again, this is not a rhetorical question. The question is, would you agree with God and allow him to work in you? Would you allow God to work in you the thing that he wants to work in you? And now, I think it's proper and necessary for us as we've tried to create a habit even in the middle of a sermon. I promise you the band's not coming up. We're not done yet, but we're about to pray. We're about to pray as a body, as a people. A, a just prayer of maybe personal confession. Um, I, in fact, I, I, I have written a prayer for this. Time. I, no, sorry, I have not written a prayer. I have found a written prayer. Sorry, I wasn't trying to lie there. I have found a written prayer that I wanna read even in this time that I think would be very necessary for us. And so let's, let's pray and, and ask the Lord to help you, to help soften your heart and open your eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, yet again, your grace and your kindness lead us to repentance. There is no God like you, holy and merciful, so welcoming and so eager to redeem, so patient and so filled with unfailing love. Hear our confession. We confess caring more about what others think about us than what they think about you. We confess that it's easier for us to share gossip than to share the gospel. We confess that we often manipulate people for our good rather than to serve them for your glory. We confess binging on fear and worry rather than feasting on grace and feeding our faith. We confess hoarding our brokenness and weakness rather than letting friends enter our pain and suffering. We confess indulging irritation and justifying resentment rather than forbearing with others and forgiving as Jesus has forgiven us. Have mercy on us, Father. Have mercy on me. If you've dealt with us according to our sins, we could not stand. If you repaid us for all your transgressions, we would despair forever. But our hope is sure, for it is built on nothing less, nothing more, and nothing other than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We bless you, Father, for the gift of Christ, for his perfect life lived for us, and his judgment-exhausting death on the cross. As you have forgiven us and declared us righteous in Christ, so change us and make us more like him. We pray this in Jesus' merciful and mighty name. Amen. Amen. And I pray that that would be the prayer of your heart. I pray that it would be the prayer of our heart. By the way, Christians, now is as good a time as ever to be reminded how God has dealt with you. Let's, let's like just, let's not, not, we're not just sprinkling some gospel here, but let's be reminded, Christians, of the gospel. Let's be reminded how God has dealt with you. And let me ask you this, has God dealt severely with you? Not a rhetorical question. 
Has God dealt severely with you in your sins? Thank you, Chris. Someone else may have done it, but Chris was like, nope. (laughs) Has God dealt with you according to your faults? Maybe you're like, where are you going with this question? Well, I'll tell you where I'm going with this question. I'm going to Psalm chapter 130 that opened our time today that says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Lord, if you were to mark iniquities, who could stand? No one. (laughs) But with you there is forgiveness that you would be feared. Matthew Henry says it this way, what would become of us if God should be as exact and severe in judging us as we are in judging our brethren? If he should weigh us in the same balance. Man, may we just be wrecked by the grace of God for us. Verse three, let's move on to verses three through five. Verses three through five, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we then have this rather vivid illustration by Jesus that depicts for us the hypocrisy that's present in us when we judge others the way that we often judge them. He he highlights in in a vivid way, I really wish, man, I've got, I cut down a tree last week in my backyard and I've just got these big logs in the backyard that Emily, my daughter was, I came home yesterday and she was, had gloves on, she was sorting them out. She's got scratches to prove it. Should have brought one of those big logs to kind of give you a good illustration here. I don't know, if someone go fetch me a log, I'm just kidding. What Jesus is saying, Jesus gives this vivid illustration and he addresses here how meticulously we diagnose what is awry in our brother while missing what is obvious in our present situation. He, he, he says, you are, you are so good at missing what is obvious that's, that's kind of the, the point of this illustration, this massive log in your eye. How funny would that be <laughs> for me to just have this illustration? I wish I would have done it. I planned it all week and then I forgot. Jesus says that this is what you look like, walking around with this big log in your eye while addressing the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so Jesus is saying that it is pride, and he even says hypocrisy, that causes me, man, this, is, this, this hits, this is, this is very personal. But it's pride and hypocrisy that causes me to minimize my own sin and shortcomings only to exaggerate the sins and the shortcomings of another. By the way, here's something, you wanna kind of evaluate this and um, I don't want anybody to like nudge the person beside them because here's, here's the thing, if you're thinking about who should be here hearing this, you, you might be missing the point. So maybe you're like, man, I wish this person was here today. So don't nudge the person or think about who else. But let me just say something. If you don't notice this tendency that we've been talking about, about yourself, I can promise you, because I've experienced it, like I'm, I'm guilty, if, that if you don't notice this tendency about yourself, I can promise you with almost near perfect certainty that everyone, around, everyone else around you does notice it. So maybe you've missed it, but let me just say, the people around you don't. What you'll also find true is that there is no one more sensitive to criticism and correction than the one who most often criticizes others. 
Can I just say that? Like in my most critical seasons of life, when I have found myself in that rut of harsh, hypercritical, fault-finding judgment, like you know that I'm in that season because of how I might respond to how you correct me. We'll get to more on that in just a minute. But Jesus really exposes us here when we say that, oh, we're merely concerned with justice. We're concerned with truth. We're concerned with righteousness. He's exposing us when we, when we say that by being a warrior against the sins of others but failing to address how our own lives fail to pursue truth and judgment. If you judge others for the sake of truth but give yourself a pass, are you for truth and righteousness and justice? Man, this is a, again, this is, this is how some of these subtle things come into play that, that we, we, we so convince ourselves that we are for, we just want truth, we just want justice, and yet we are not near as aggressive towards our own sin as we are towards the sins of others. So Jesus is going to great lengths to present to us the, the ridiculousness of that kind of scenario, to explain to us his disdain for this kind of, of attitude, this log and this speck. And Jesus is being very extreme for a reason. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through seven, um, believe it or not, is not just a wedding passage. In fact, it's not a wedding passage at all. Um, it might pertain, but it's not a wedding passage. It's a this passage, the church, the people of God. 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven would be helpful for us here, and this is what it says. Someone read, would someone read that? 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven. I need to get a drink of water. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. That would be a good passage for us to ponder and to study that it believes all things, it does not seek for wrongdoing, which is the kind of judgment that Jesus is addressing here, seeking for wrongdoing. Verse six. This is a fun one. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So you may not expect, may be expecting this, it may catch you off guard, but Jesus moves on indicating that we are to make judgments and to use discernment in the reproof that we give. That's, that's what this, this kind of a summary of this verse. And it may not be a perfect interpretation. Um, don't take my word for it. Read the, read the scriptures for yourself always. But what I say is never final or authoritative, rather only what is preached from here. So Jesus, as we see in this verse, is not done um, teaching us on the topic of judgments, saying in essence that we should not avoid judgments altogether. Jesus is, Jesus is saying in this passage, we're just walking through the text, Jesus is saying in verse six, we shouldn't avoid judgments altogether. What, what Jesus has said in the opening verses is not all that Jesus has to say about judgment, is it? It's not all that the word has to say about judgment. The Bible has much to say about judgments and discernments and reproof and corrections and all those things. And so what, what we often do, especially 
um, in, in our culture is, 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 is we build our entire life, our entire life ethic upon the presupposition that no one can judge me. We love verse one. Our culture loves verse one. And by the way, lest we pit the culture against ourselves, this is a mentality that often exists most strongly within the church, that no one can speak into my life. No one can offer reproof or correction. But Jesus says that what we are to avoid here is the tendency to condemn or set ourselves up as the final judge and to make pronouncements upon a person's soul character. Jesus Jesus references this in Matthew chapter five, I believe. He talks about, um, uh, verse 22 of chapter five. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's not today's sermon, but Jesus does say that when we make pronouncements upon people, when we damage the image of God within them. He is prohibiting this kind of behavior. And this leads us, verse six, leads us to something very important about discipline. It it leads us to something very important about correction and accountability within the church that far too many have gotten wrong. And so maybe you hear us talking about judgments and correction and you you, kind of have some, some pain and some hurt from that. But let me just set the record straight, at least for those who are here, that godly discipline is always meant to restore a brother and never to condemn them. Godly discipline is always meant to, to bring someone back into the, 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 the will and the presence of God and never to condemn. That's what, that's what we see. We see in the instructions in Matthew chapter 18, which we'll get to probably in about five years or so, I don't know. Um, but we'll see in Matthew chapter 18 that that's kind of the progression. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter five that that seems to be somewhat of the progression, that they would be restored, that they would be brought back in, that they would live life in, in the fullness that God offers. And so godly discipline, again, is always meant to restore but never to condemn. And so that is what we have learned, that we are not to act as a judge. We are not to condemn. However, notice what the text does say, that when a speck is in our brother's eye, we're not called to all out ignore it, but to address what is wrong in us first so that we may help, so that we may walk with our brother through what they are dealing with. So Jesus in this verse, however, this is tricky. This is a tricky verse, let me just say. Um, if you, if, I would much rather you be teaching than me when we get here, but it's, it's tricky. Jesus here in this verse does indicate that there will be discretion and discernment necessary. He, sem- he seems to indicate the value by using holy and pearls. He seems to indicate the value of speaking truthfully and in love to others, even cautioning us that there, there will be those who do not receive it, that there will be those who do not receive the correction, the reproof. Um, now, whether or not Jesus is speaking here of our gospel proclamation or just the general truth that we share and speak into another's life, it doesn't seem very clear. Now, there's, there's other places throughout where Jesus instructs his disciples in Luke 10, going out, being sent, and, and instructing them on, on how, to, how to respond to people who don't respond to, in faith to the, to, to the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus does instruct them there. And so whether or not Jesus here is speaking of our gospel presentation, proclamation, or just, again, this this general truth that we share and speak into another's life, we we don't really know. But what we do know, you hear that? Hear, Hear what we did? 
what we do know, what we can stand firm on, as, as, as Pastor Kevin will say, where the ice is thick enough to hold us, is that what we do know is that all truth belongs to God. That all truth belongs to God. That truth, despite what culture has to say or despite how one happens to respond or feel, truth is holy and valuable. Jesus says it's holy. It's, it's a, he, he likens it to a pearl. He, he likens it to that. And so Jesus says here that there may come a time when discernment and judgment is necessary for how we share and how far we are willing to go to share it, lest his name or the truth that he proclaims be mocked. There are judgments to be made based on what is holy, not based on what we deem appropriate or what the bar we set, but the bar of the word of God. And so I will say this in context of the, to the church. Let me say this in context to the church. Jesus shows us here, as well as really the whole of the scriptures, that the response of the one receiving correction is as important as the heart of the one giving correction. Hey, church, we have a responsibility to speak truth and love, as Ephesians will say, to one another. Hey, church, let me tell you this. You, as a child of God submitted to the kingship of Jesus, have a responsibility to receive correction and reproof where you are wrong. You have a response, you have a, a moral, biblical responsibility to receive that with really, I think, glad hearts. I've, I've, I've said this before. If you have someone that comes to you and speaks truth into your life when you need to hear it, thank God for it. Thank God that someone took the initiative to help you see a blind, dark spot in your life. Man, what a, what a grace that it is. So there's these other questions. How willingly do you receive correction? How do you receive it? How have you received it? You, your role in receiving it is as vital as giving it. Again, this is, this is one of those things, just on a practical level, this is one of those things that you may not be self-aware of, but if you respond really negatively when someone challenges you, if you're wrong, you may not be aware of it, but everyone around you is very aware of it. Everyone around you is aware of how you respond when you are challenged. Matthew 18 speaks of this. And then look at Proverbs 15, 32 through 33. This is convicting. Proverbs 15, 32, and 33. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. That's what we see from the scriptures. All right, let's knock this out. Seven through 11, you're like, wow, we're jumping to another section. Yes, we'll be real quick. Verses seven through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus then enters into this teaching about how we relate with God. Or rather, reminding us of how God relates with us, really, right? Um, 
he, he spends some time through these first verses about how we're relating with others. And then Jesus kind of reinforces this message that if you notice, he's actually already preached in the sermon, Matthew chapter six, in dealing with prayer. And so Jesus kind of reinforces this idea of God as our father. And so he's taken the first six verses talking about how we relate with one another. And then he takes the next section to remind us how God relates with us. Um, I shared this quote a little while back, but, and it was the first time I ever heard the quote. Um, but since I shared this quote, when we preached on Matthew chapter six, verses nine and 10, since I shared this quote, I've literally seen it everywhere. It, it, it pops up on like my Facebook feed. It, you know, there was an airplane last week flying and it had the verse behind, I'm just kidding, it did not. It just pops up, it just pops up everywhere, not, not on airplanes. But it's by J.I. Packer. I want you to listen to this. I'm gonna share it again. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God, J.I. Packer says. Hey, I would add that if you want to live in love towards others, make much of the thought of the love God has shown towards you. So not, not only may, be a, may, may it be a deficiency of us understanding God as Father, but on a more, maybe, I don't know, maybe a more fundamental, but on, on as fundamental of a level, you may not understand the love of God towards you if you fail to live and love towards others. So Jesus says some things in this section that are also often misunderstood. Um, so, so God will give me whatever I ask from him? Is that what Jesus is saying? Yes, it, it is what he says. Um, but who in here has that as their experience? Who in here has that experience? Well, we know that Jesus is not lying. We know that Jesus is not limited in any way. And remember the ground rule that we established a few weeks ago here. This is kind of a, maybe a core value of our time in preaching. Whenever Jesus says something that is challenging, the deficiency and the limitation is always in us. It's never in him. Amen? It's always in us and never in him. When we fail to understand, when we fail to see, when we fail to, to comprehend something, hey, it's a really good opportunity for us to just admit that. Yeah, we're limited. We, we don't know everything. God does. And so there's, there's an assumption here by Jesus when he says what he says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. There's an assumption here by Jesus that what disciples will seek is the will of God. That, that what our greatest desire, what our deepest, most fundamental desire is, is the will of God. In fact, I love Romans chapter eight. Can we go there for just a second? This was not planned. This is off script. But it just shoots my mind to Romans chapter eight about the spirit praying for us. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings 
too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Hey, if you are a child of God, it is and ought to be your deepest, most fundamental desire to follow the will of God. And Paul addresses here in Romans, sometimes we don't know how to do that. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. But guess what? Man, this is all gonna connect so beautifully here in just a second. We've got the spirit of God. And what the scriptures say is that when we don't know how to pray towards that, when we feel limited, guess what? The spirit himself, man, he intercedes. He kind of just sweeps in and prays to the Father according to his will because it is our desires, people of God. Lord, I may be praying selfishly here, but just know that my desire is to be submitted to your will. And so there's this assumption here by Jesus that the disciples will seek the will of God. And if we seek this, God as our Father, on that basis, he will only and utterly supply you that which is good. Here's where this connects. What is the good thing that God gives that he promises in this text? It's not in Matthew's account, but it's in Luke's account. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Luke kind of expands on this good thing that Jesus says that your father will give. It says, if you, this is Luke eleven thirteen. 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Man, you talk about a gift. I know that we seek all kinds of gifts and comforts in this life, but the gift that the Father has promised to us, that Jesus himself promised to us, is of the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, and knock for that which you most desperately need and most deeply desire, and Jesus says God will give it. He will give it to you lavishly. Christian, you desire forgiveness, it's yours. You desire security, it's yours. You desire no judgment, it's yours. You desire the presence of God, it's yours. You desire adoption, it's yours. You desire heaven, it's yours. You desire the Holy Spirit, it's yours. You desire being like Christ, it's yours. You desire knowing God intimately and deeply, it's yours. That's what Jesus promises. Christian, you have a father in heaven, a good father. Can I just tell you, not, not everyone in this world understands God as a father, but maybe as a, maybe as a, a wrathful, wrathful judge. And Jesus wants to make sure that we understand that God is our, our father in heaven who loves us and who sees us as his children. And in this section, could be kind of confusing because probably in your Bibles, it starts a new section. Verse 12 says, so whatever you wished that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus has just shown how we often fail in regard to how we relate with one another, followed by how God never fails and how he relates with us as his children. And we feel really torn. And well, what about when we talk about harsh judgments of others? And then we feel really good when we talk about God's love for us, right? Maybe you've noticed that within yourself today. We're talking about judgments and you're, yeah, you're still kind of skeptical and then you start hearing about, oh God, you know, man, God loves me, he's merciful and you're like, yeah, give me that, right? But Jesus here reminds his listeners that the law of God has been sorely misunderstood. He shows us that throughout the whole sermon. 
shows us that the law of God has been misunderstood, showing that it has been about the heart. It's always been about the heart, specifically how we are to relate with and love God and how we relate with and love one another. So in this context, in this context of, of Matthew 7, if we judge rightly, but we don't have love, if we speak the truth, but we don't have love in our hearts, if we enjoy the grace that God has given us, but we don't have love, does this sound familiar? Where am I going with that? Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Man, that's a pretty relevant verse. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Jesus is showing us that we've sorely misunderstood the, the heart and the nature of the law that was always after the heart, that we would love God and we would love one another. And so family, again, I pray today that we would allow the Spirit of God to convict us, that we would be obedient, that we would repent where necessary. And, and, and here's, here's why. Because we have a father who will cut no corners or stop short in any way in giving you what you'd most deeply desire according to his will. He will cut no corners. You know, there's always little stipulations between me and my kids on, yeah, you can if you, if you do this. Jesus, Jesus says that God, that we have a father who will cut no corners or stop short in any way to give you the thing that you most desperately need, his grace. Psalm 130, have to go back to that. Psalm 130, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be feared. And so the scriptures offer comfort galore for the child of God when we come to him in humble repentance. 1 John 1, 9 is written to the believers that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what a, a beautiful thing. And so may that be the thing that motivates us, that enables us to show that kind of sacrificial, humble, vulnerable kind of love to those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, um, that your word um, has, has spoken of this morning. You know the ways, Lord, in which you have dealt with me and my own failings in this area. And I pray now for my brothers and sisters here who have the same opportunity to allow you to do the same for them. And so, Lord, as, as we confess this, as we confess these things in our hearts that your spirit is, 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 is showing us through your word, we know that you are the God who is both faithful as a father and just as a judge to forgive and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And Father, may we step into and may we experience that now.
We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the spirit of God who dwells within us and that the spirit himself to us is a, is a gift, is a grace, is something that we don't deserve, but that you have freely, lavishly given. So Lord, may we live as people with the fruit of the spirit in us. Uh, may the spirit's fruit be evident and may you do the work in us that the Spirit does. We pray these things in your name, amen.